You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing? It's nice to see some chairs filled. And good morning to our online friends. I want to welcome you and uh, thank you for joining with us. Uh, It's interesting how God moves and how he works. We're in a series on uh, working our way through Jesus's sermon uh, on the Mount. It's very famous. It's Matthew chapter five through seven. And at the beginning, Jesus describes what it's like to live in the kingdom of God and kind of the attributes and the values and the characteristics of those who say, I'm going to follow Jesus and how we're to live those out. They're called the Beatitudes. And I want to read those. They're so counterculture to how we think and how we believe and even how we sometimes act and react today. And I find it interesting because uh, the beatitude that we're going to be looking at today is blessed are the peacemakers. So let's kind of find out what Jesus has to say about that and uh, uh, see how that kind of fits into where we are today. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, and this is what he said. Now he's getting into these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. We'd like to say, blessed are the rich. But Jesus says, no, it's those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the humble, not the powerful. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What is a peacemaker? Well, I can assure you Jesus isn't referring to the United Nations that was established to bring peace to the nations back in 1945. Uh, Since then, since the establishment of the United Nations, there hasn't been a day of peace worldwide since. Uh, Jesus probably isn't talking about statesmen or kings or arbitrators, diplomats, presidents, peace fighters. He's not talking about establishing peace treaties because few can bring peace. And as we've seen throughout history, treaties never hold up. Consider these last 10 months, friends. We've seen daily riots, protests, fighting, slandering, acerbic and caustic language that's been spewed from everyone from politicians to preachers and everything and everyone in between. It's nothing new. We think, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end. Maybe it is, I don't know. If it is, great, I get to go see Jesus. And I'm not being funny about that. That's really the way I believe. But here's the deal. We got all of this going on around us, and we think, oh, we've never seen this before. You know what? It was very common back in Jesus' day. See, the people that Jesus is talking about right here, his people, 
You know what they were looking for? They were looking for a Messiah that would come and kick the stuffings out of Rome and, and remove them from operating and overseeing Israel. They wanted a Messiah, a person to bring peace and to run them out. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's going to happen. That will happen someday. But first, I've come here to establish a spiritual kingdom. And that's what Jesus come to do. He said, this kingdom is going to start from within your heart and your life, not outside. Because that's where the true change in life and everything about our world is going to start. So, so what did Jesus mean by happy are the peacemakers? What is being a peacemaker about? See, when we think of peace, we think of inner tranquility like, ah, I am at peace. Or the absence of conflict where there's peace rather than war. Uh, but the Hebrew term shalom is much larger, grander, and greater. It really has to do with a state of well-being for self and a whole community in every direction and in every relationship, according to Dr. Dale Bruner. To make peace, to have shalom, is to bring justice and righteousness to everyone in a community. So in this large sense, peacemaking is, is a person, it's a one who works for justice and the well-being of everyone in society. Uh, just a, an example, an illustration to that would be we have people that work with the homeless. We have people that are engaged in our schools, who work in the schools. We have people that are peace officers or officers of the law that are out there working with people. I mean, you begin to see people at work in a community. Sometimes they're being paid to do it. Sometimes they're simply volunteers. And you say, well, what's that got to do with peacemaking? How could anything as simple as teaching a kid, listening to a student, serving the poor, listening, be peacemaking? Here's the deal. When people make a contribution to the well-being of another human being, that contributes to the well-being, ultimately, of the whole community. And it's a time. It's the meaning of shalom, bringing peace to the people in the community. Never forget this, loved ones. Every act of kindness, every good deed, every wrong that is righted contributes to the peace. The shalom of where we live. That's really what being a peacemaker is. It's part of this counterculture that Jesus calls us into and to begin to make a greater difference. Uh, but here's where it starts. Peacemakers know where peace is found. It isn't just the absence of conflict, but it has to do, when Jesus is talking about it here, personally, it has to do with the presence of righteousness in, his, in a person's life. Remember just a couple of Beatitudes before this, he talks about blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to truly experience the peace that God has for us, one has to embrace this righteousness. And this righteousness is truly a person, a person is Jesus Christ. Where does this righteousness come from? Well, it comes from Jesus, and it comes into, and it begins to change our lives. Righteousness, the essence of it, the core of it, is just being right, being right with God and being right with people. And Jesus says, that's what I come to bring. I come to usher that in to our lives. So this shalom and this peace isn't about having no war, not having troubles, but it's something that you will experience as you embrace and enter into and walk into the righteousness of God so that all things begin to become more right in your life. 
It's where God and his peace, they come in and they fill and they begin to flood your soul. Jesus is ultimately the source of this peace. We're not going to stop the wars. They're always going to be here. I'm sorry to tell you that, but we're going to have them. But this is about stopping the war within. Because the first place that a peacemaker finds peace is in the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous, that word again, righteous, rightness by our faith, we get to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of us, loved ones, have to deal with and address the key and true issue of peace in Jesus Christ. This is the real issue. Peace begins with God. Jesus says you must face your sin. Earlier, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning has the idea of mourning, being sad over who we are, the the sin, and repent over it. There's no shortcut in this. If someone tells you, ah, don't worry, God loves you all as well, uh, that's appeasement. That says you don't have to face the hard issue. The truth is you've sinned, I've sinned. We've all sinned and we've rebelled against God because we choose our own way. Uh, Romans 3 says there's none who is righteous. There is none. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's going to be no truce with God until you repent and you mourn over who you are and what you've done and where you've been. We say, well, does God love me then? I mean, if if someone doesn't, does he love you? Yeah, of course. We're not talking about love. We're talking about entering into a relationship. That's never been the issue. God's never been the problem in your life. It's how you and I have responded or rebelled or not responded to him. One of the last imperial Japanese soldiers, Soichi Yokoi, he was discovered in a jungle in Guam in 1972 where he'd lived in isolation You know what? He hadn't heard yet that World War II had ended. So what he was doing there, he's still building up all of these fortifications to hold off any enemy invasion in his little domain. He didn't know the war was over. What a waste, we say. You know what he missed out on? Because after World War II, if you remember, Japan went through this miraculous economic boom. And for 28 years, he missed that. Why? Because he was fighting in a war that was over. He was fighting malaria on this little island. See, that's what a lot of people do today. They're in conflict. They don't listen to the Spirit of God. They don't respond to the life of Jesus. They don't have peace with God. They just, they they don't surrender to him. And, And here's the thing, loved ones. If we want to have peace, if we want to experience the peace of God, you have to address the real issue which is really coming to Jesus and simply surrendering. And and there's probably some of us online and watching today or listening today that we think we've surrendered to Jesus, but we really haven't given ourselves over to him in every area. And that's part of the reason why we potentially don't have peace. Because see, a peacemaker has peace within. Do you ever feel really good when you respond to something and do something good? I mean, you just go, wow, wow. 
That was pretty good. Or you, you overcome something. Like it was a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was in my car and I was driving on the freeway and I was just kind of, I wasn't really going fast. Sometimes I drive fast. But I wasn't really going fast because I was listening to all these wonderful Christmas cartoons. And I just, I was in the moment, in the season. And all of a sudden, this guy comes ripping up by me and he honks and he salutes me. And I go, whoa, what happened? Now, my, my, first, my first thought was, speed up, catch up to him, and give him the, what's the matter, you know? That's what I wanted to do initially. And then I just said, no, oh, come, all ye faithful, you know? And, and I just kept going, and I felt, well, thanks, Lord. I did the right thing there. I had some peace once I stopped and thought about it. See, that's what Jesus, when you, and now listen, I don't want to make it sound like I've always done the right thing, but, but in those moments when you do, you begin to understand the scripture in Philippians 4 that says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I was amazed that I was so abused and I let it go. But see, Jesus comes. In even those small moments, he comes to give us the peace. You know why you can get that? Because you know that he knows what's going on. You know that he knows what's going before you. You know that he knows and you can trust that he knows what's coming up behind you and around you. See, that's when you really begin to get peace. When you see all the stuff that's happening around the world, it isn't that you have some kind of Pollyanna attitude or uh, laissez-faire attitude, but you begin to understand, here's the peace that I can have. God is in charge. I can trust him with what is taking place in my personal life. Well, Terry, you don't know. I mean, you don't know how bad it is for some people. You're right, I don't. But here's the only hope that, that will bring peace to you is that God knows. And see, if anybody should have peace, we're going to talk next week about being persecuted. And we think we're being persecuted. We think we're being put out. But God says, no, no, I want you to have peace. And the only way you can have peace is to trust what God is doing in your life, in you, and through you, and you begin to say, I've got peace within, because you're praying to God, you're talking with God, and you're listening to his spirit. A peacemaker is also, <clears throat> excuse me, a reconciler of individuals, where they turn enemies into friends, or at least that's the work of their life. Second Corinthians 6.18 says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, reconciliation has to do with what? Peace. You're bringing peace to people. God's brought peace to you and to me. Are you a reconciler? Well, if you know Jesus, you are. You're supposed to be one who is reconciling, bringing people together. This peace is so important for you, you and me that as we find it in Jesus, because now he says... I've commissioned you. I am sending you to go out to make disciples and to be a reconciler to the people around you, to bring my peace, the peace of Jesus Christ, to them. It was during the Revolutionary War. There was a pastor named Peter Miller. He lived in Afreda, Pennsylvania. 
He enjoyed the friendship of the respected general, General uh, George Washington. In his town, there was a man, his name was Michael Whitman, who really gave him, he was very hostile toward the preacher. Didn't like him, didn't care for him. Uh, it was said that he spit on him, that he punched him one time. Uh, but one day, Michael Whitman, uh, he was uh, arrested and charged with treason, and he was sentenced to die. Peter Miller knew him. Historical record says that he traveled almost 50 miles from Ephra, Pennsylvania to Valley Forge to go up to bat for him and to speak in his behalf to uh, George Washington. He goes to him and he says, I, I, I want you to spare his life to George Washington. And Washington said, I'm sorry, I can't grant you that gift of his life. I know he's your friend, but I, I can't do that. He goes, my friend? <laughs> he's my bitterest enemy. He's my bitterest enemy. And I don't believe, though, that he's guilty of treason. What? Washington said, you mean you walked almost 50 miles to come here to save the life of an enemy? And he began to say, that puts things in a different light. So they went through this process, and uh, it said that uh, on the day that he was to be hung, that he was to be hanged, pastor comes, and he's got this declaration. And when uh, Widom saw the pastor coming, he saw it there and he goes, oh, he's coming here to celebrate my death. And instead he walked up there with a document that said, you're free. Took him off the gallows. They walked back to Ephraim together and became lifelong friends. See, hear me, loved ones. I know that's like, oh, you're kidding me. Who does that? That pastor did. Why? Because he was a reconciler. He stood up for truth in somebody's life. That's a peacemaker, someone who turns enemies into friends. The opposite of, of a peacemaker are peoples who are always in conflict with someone. They're always in the middle of an argument. They're always involved in disputes. They're wrapped in tension with someone. I, I suppose the question that Jesus would want to ask us today is, are you an instigator or are you a peacemaker? Jesus was the all-time peacemaker who came to reconcile us to God. That's so why he says in 2 Corinthians, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Jesus came to make peace with us, to make friends with us instead of enemies. This is an incredible thought that comes from John chapter 15, verse 14. Jesus calls you and me who choose to follow him, who have made a decision to enter into a relationship. What does he call us? He calls us friends. See, he's done everything that needs to be done to make that a reality. But never forget, loved ones, what he calls us to do now is to do the same thing for others, where we become those people that enter into the ministry of reconciliation. When Jesus came, there was this unbridgeable gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. Each group despised each other. They wouldn't work together. They wouldn't eat together. They wouldn't do business together. Uh, but Ephesians tells us that God loved them so much that he brought them together. And it says literally in Ephesians 2 that he made them one. And a peacemaker is to be reconciled to others. 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we're lying, and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as Jesus himself is in the light, because he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Think about this for a moment, friends. 
Look around. Do you have anybody, any relationship on your ledger that you're not at peace with? That isn't in a positive place? Now hear me. As someone who leads a good number of people, uh, it's possible it's not always your fault. But I also believe that we all have a part in it. It may not be your fault that you can't walk in peace with everyone. But until each person recognizes their part in the wrong, nobody can walk in peace. And that's why this thing called sin has to be dealt with and it becomes so important. Where righteousness comes into our life and we're willing to look at ourselves where we could be wrong. Ephesians 2, I just referenced it. For he himself is our peace. Who? Jesus. Who has made two into one. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new person out of two, thus making peace. And to reconcile both of them, Jews, Gentiles, blacks, whites, to God here through the cross. He came and he preached peace to those who far away and gave peace to those who were near. Four times it talks about peace in that passage that the purpose, one of the main purposes of Jesus on the cross was to bring peace. I work with a lot of couples over the years. And we can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of techniques when it comes to talking to them about their marriage and their relationship. But you know what I think is is just the most important thing now? People get tired of hearing it, but here it is. got to come to Jesus. You've got to submit and commit and surrender to Jesus. Because until you come to the cross and allow Jesus to bring his rightness, his righteousness into your life, no person... No marriage relationship can ever experience peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. See, Christ's idea isn't to fight and win. There's a lot of people that that have that mentality. If I'm going to fight, I'm going to win. I'm not looking for peace. I'm not looking for win-win. It's win-lose. But Christ says... I'm not here to have you fight. I want you to be a peacemaker who doesn't nurture conflict between people with them. I want you to be the opposite of a troublemaker, of an instigator. I want you to be one who becomes a heaven of hope. I mean, excuse me, a haven of hope, a haven of peace for those around you. I want you to be a healer, not a wounder. Why? Because he is our peace. He is your peace. Peacemaking is not easy. I watched, I was watching something a couple of weeks ago, and it was a thing on self-defense, and they were talking about the five rules of how to defend yourself. I figured I better do that after my um, highway altercation. Um, not really, but I just I was flipping through the channels. It was on there. Yeah, yeah, they were talking about karate. You know what the first thing you're supposed to do is to defend yourself? The most important thing, number one, walk away. Do everything you can to walk away. Don't fight if possible. See, a peacemaker walks with and he surrenders to Jesus. When he's obedient to the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God, he may not be able to do anything except try and bring peace 
to those around you and to your own life. A peacemaker is committed to preventing and to resolving conflict. I don't know if I like this, but it's really true because I've been this competitive person all my life, and it's a challenge at times. James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? Isn't that the truth? There's these battles within us. There's this conflict that originates from our inner desires where there's this lack of peace. You want something and you can't get it. You covet, but you can't have it. And you quarrel and fight because instead of just asking God to deal with it and to work through it, we tend to exacerbate things and make them worse. Here's the question. Am I a peacemaker or an instigator? Do I like to argue? Am I contentious? Do I push for my own way? Do I hurt and disregard other people? What's the first thing a doctor says oftentimes when you go into his office, when he starts his examination? Open your mouth. I want to look at your tongue because it gives insight into our, our health and our well-being. God does that spiritually. Peacemakers know the power of their words. Why is there such conflict in the world right now? Why is there conflict in our marriages? Why is there conflict with our kids, with our family, where I work? Well, the Bible is pretty clear. James 2 says this, that we all stumble in many ways. Isn't that true? But if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep the whole body in check. Isn't that interesting? How many of us are able to control this little organ? Because see, self-control comes ultimately from tongue control. We get ourselves into trouble at what we think and then what we speak. James 3 gives these several illustrations. You put a little bit in a horse's mouth, that controls the direction of a horse. You have a rudder on a ship, and that controls the direction of the ship. A small spark, what does it do? It can bring the warmth of starting a fire, or it can bring flames that destroy I tell people on our staff, and I tell, I've talked to leaders, and I probably said this publicly, I don't know, but every one of us in this room, every one of us everywhere, carry two buckets. One bucket's got water in it, and one bucket has gas in it. And every situation that we step into, we will use one of those buckets with our words and our attitudes. We'll either incinerate, or we will douse the problems that we step into. Your tongue, by size, is such an insignificant part of your life, but doesn't it control your life? See, what you say directs your life. Your tongue is this powerful force for good and for evil. You ever had someone say, hey, I just say what's on my mind. I just say what I want. I got freedom of speech. Um, maybe what's on their mind shouldn't be said. See, the Bible says that when you have this kind of frankness about yourself and you think, and listen, I know the Constitution, we got freedom of speech and all that, but there's also discretion. There's also understanding of when to say what we say and how we say it. 
Because the Bible says, no, you're not being frank. You're probably being foolish. Proverbs 29, 20 says this. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more, more hope for a fool than for him. Truthfully, some people just need, especially in this season, a good dose of tactfulness. President-elect Joe Biden said this recently, words matter. At their best, our words can inspire. At their worst, they can incite. I think we would all agree that what we saw this last week, it was egregious. It was despicable, the attack on the Capitol. It was interesting as a follow-up to all of this. You, maybe you saw it, but I was looking at the news the other day. They had this video clip. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, who I've grown to greatly respect through this past year because of the way that he's dealt with so many things. He was walking through Reagan National Airport this past Friday, and he was simply being harassed by a group of people. He was just trying to catch a flight out of D.C., and as he's walking, there was this kind of this mob that continued to follow him. And as they were walking, they were just yelling out things like, liar, traitor, yelling out expletives at him. And I thought, God, what are we coming to? <sighs> there is no peace. And we think somebody, some person, one man or one woman is going to bring that? No. Jesus. See, our words, loved ones, become so important. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Ah, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. See, your tongue can do one of two things. It can pierce like a sword, cut and maim or it can bring healing. Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and they bring healing to the bones. Scripture pictures words, how they can cause and bring pain or they can bring healing. Never underestimate, loved ones, the power that we pronounce with our words, the power that when we speak positive words and the destruction when they're negative and biting. See, don't ever underestimate the power of your words. Satan doesn't, because he is continually working, and I believe the church is part of this, to get you and I to turn them into a negative direction and to speak negative things about anything. Who in the world is going to bring hope and is going to be able to step in and bring peace to anybody, anywhere, if it isn't the church? Our words have creative power, just as God demonstrated when he created the heavens and the earth with his words. Do you know you and I have authority today to create things here on earth? But as peacemakers, we have to take the first step. We have to take the first step to make things right. Jesus in Matthew 5, 23 and 24 said that if you're worshiping God and you've got a problem with somebody or someone's got a problem with you, you know what he says? He says, I want you to go take care of it. I mean, leave your worship right in the middle, right now. Go leave. Take care of it. Then come back. Resume your worship. That's how important it is. Why does he say to do that? Well, because that's what Jesus did for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that, but God showed 
his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners, when we were estranged and far from God. God didn't wait for us to get right, to be right, to act right. He made the first move because he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to produce and promote and bring peace to your life. When did Jesus die on the cross? When he was right and we were wrong. That's the important thing is we as Christ followers, listen, loved ones, and I know this is hard in this kind of a climate, but we got to be the ones to make the first step. We need to be the ones that say, I'm going to be a reconciler. I'm not going to be an instigator. Now hear me, listen, let me, let me just insert this parenthetically because I know that with everything going on, everybody says, well, you know what, there's just some things that we can't be peaceable about. And there are those things where we can't change it. But here's the deal. What's the attitude and what's the verbiage and what's the way that we bring and speak into it? That's what Jesus is talking about. Why are peacemakers happy? When are you happy? Are you happy when your relationships are out of place and you get people upset with you, or are you happiest when you're at peace with others and things are right in your relationship? I think that's probably when you're going to have the most peace. But there's another reason why peacemakers are happy. Notice what Jesus said. They will be called sons of God. See, the original language would often describe people using the phrase son of uh, we see it throughout the New Testament in a few places. Uh, a son of encouragement was an encouraging person. A son of thunder was a very exuberant, maybe uptight, upset person. Here it says, a son of God is a godlike person. When you are a peacemaker, you are like God, and you're doing the work of God. You know what you're doing? You're bringing shalom. You're bringing peace to wherever you go. See, and isn't that the call of our life, loved ones? When you are like God, you are fulfilling Romans 8.29. It says that our purpose is to be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And when you begin to do that and experience that, you'll be happy. You know why? Because you were created, created in his image. And the ultimate purpose of your life and mine, Romans 8.29, is to be transformed and changed into the image of Jesus so that wherever we go, we're peacemakers. We're bringing his life into the situation. I don't think it's an overstatement to say the world desperately needs more peacemakers. There's so much fear. There's so much lack of peace. And why do people have so much fear? It's because they don't have inward peace. You can go into your world this week and you can tell them about Jesus and that he's the peace giver, that he's the one that ultimately gives hope. You can tell them our new president, our new vice president, our new cabinet, our new senate, they're not going to bring peace. Do you think anything's going to change soon? I don't think so. Here's where we go. Jesus is the peace giver. And he says, I want you to go and be peacemakers. Become like him. That's our calling. Happy are the peacemakers. Would you stand with me?
I want to invite you, if you would, just to bow your heads for a moment. And our friends who are online, maybe today you would say, I don't have a whole lot of peace. And maybe it's because you've never made a decision or a declaration to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Who It says he came to give us peace. That we could have peace with God. That we don't have to fight God anymore. We don't have to fight through our life. But we can begin to live in a way where the peace is manifest and it is filling our lives. Because you can't have the peace of God without peace with God. So if you're here today and you've never experienced the peace of God, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, I want you to, I would invite you to do that. And with everyone just kind of closing your eyes, bowing your head for a moment, if there's somebody here, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand. And if you're online today, there's a, there's a hand there that you can click on and say, you know what, I, I choose today to follow Jesus. And if anybody's never done that, just say, today we're going to, I choose to follow Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to pray for you. And then I want to pray for our nation. I want to pray for the peace of God to be manifest in us and through us in this season. Is anybody here today that you would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm, I've, I've never really made that commitment. Would you just raise your hand and just kind of catch my eye and I'd like to just see and pray with you today. If there's somebody on online, I encourage you to do that now. And we're just going to pray a simple prayer where we say, Jesus, I choose. I make a decision today to follow you. I want to embrace your peace so that I can be a peacemaker. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we come today. The Prince of Peace the Lord of lords and the King of kings who comes, Lord, to bring peace into our hearts and into our lives. And I ask today, Lord, that we would embrace his peace for our lives. And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, you simply say, I don't want to fight. I don't want to be at war with God. I want the peace of God. I accept and receive God's peace today. And I choose to follow him. And if that's you, I encourage you just to make that decision today. Click on the little hand icon there on, on the online service you see. And I want those of us who are here today, maybe you do this at home, but I want you to just, in Exodus chapter 18, Moses is fighting the Amalekites, and it says that they had to begin to hold his his hands up, his arms up, that his brothers had to do that. And when he was up on the mountain and they were holding up his arms, there was victory. When he began to drop them, there wasn't victory. The, the purpose of holding our hands up, the purpose of him holding his arms up in that stance in that day was just saying, saying simply, God, we need you. And for those of you who would call on the name of the Lord, I invite you today just to raise your hands with me, if you would, as we pray, as a declaration that, you know something, we're not looking for a person, we're not looking for something to bring us peace, we want to go to the Prince of Peace and make a declaration with our hands raised, God, we need you. And let's pray and agree together, and if you're online, or if you're in this room, and you say, man, I just need peace, 
I want to invite you just to lift your hands and say, God, I need you. I need your peace today. So, Father, we stand here with our hands lifted, not because it's some fancy thing to do or group therapy. We do it because, Lord, we want to experience your life. We understand that you're the one that we need to call on. We understand, God, that there's no other answers under heaven and earth. That, Lord, things are in such a place that we need the power and the presence and the peace of God to invade our personal lives, our state, our nation, and our world. And we call on you tonight, Lord, to this morning, Lord, to say, God, would you come? Would you invade our lives? Would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you give us the power and the presence to go forth and be peacemakers wherever we go? That we understand our words have power to influence or to incite. And that, Lord, we bring peace wherever we go to peace and whoever we know. And I thank you, Lord, that you've called the church to do this in this season at this time in history. We believe Acts chapter 17 that says that you placed us where we were born and in the times that we were born to live where you placed us. And we, Lord, we want to be those people that make a difference. So today, Lord, we give you thanks for that. Would you come and envelop and fill us with your peace? And we trust you and believe for that. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>